Welcome to Mosaic Podcast. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Across this room, there will be a massive diversity of attitude when it comes to this whole subject of the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. You know, I became a Christian when I was 14 years old. I don't come from a Christian family. And I can remember that moment of trusting in Jesus. I was very aware of God's presence with me. And I guess in that moment, I got a picture of how powerful the gospel is to change lives and also how much potential the local church has to change the world. And very quickly, I got fed into a really loving church family. But to be honest with you, there were very few examples in that church of doing life with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sort of always the elephant in the room that no one talked about. And there was like one person at the church that spoke in tongues, spoke in different languages given by the Holy Spirit. And they were like the weird person who does that in the church. And that was sort of, if you like, my experience of the Holy Spirit and to be honest my life without receiving continually from God was marked by huge ups and downs and so I'd have huge high moments where I wanted to live for God but it would very quickly fade away and I'd have very low moments where I genuinely sort of doubted my whole faith and wanted to give up which resulted in at the age of about 18 finally giving up it was too hard And for the next couple of years, I was in a sort of a real wilderness until I came to university and I met some young Christians that were living the life that I sort of knew existed, but had never experienced and definitely not in my own life. And these were people that really genuinely wanted to worship Jesus and they served the poor and they had like a devotional life. They lived each day for God and heard from him and wanted to obey him. And when I spoke to them, I said, what, you know, what is it about you and your lives that's so attractive? What, why are you like this? Have you got it? And I have failed so miserably. And each one said, well, it's not us. It's the Holy Spirit's work in my life. And for me, that it took me a, probably a process of six to 12 months to get my head around who the Holy Spirit was until at one point, to be honest, God just came after me. And I was in a sort of a meeting very similar to this. And I allowed some people to pray for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I had no idea what to expect. But I met with God probably in a very similar way to when I first became a Christian. And it was not like from that point on, life just got easy and it's all been great. Thank you very much. But rather, it was suddenly I realized, oh, this is the place I go to, to live for Jesus, to keep receiving from the Holy Spirit. You know, no one had shown me what walking with the Holy Spirit looks like. And Billy Graham described my experience perfectly. Billy Graham, a great evangelist. His take on the church was this. He says this, uh, everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. Their Christian experience is not all that they expected, and they often have recurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And for me at 21, being prayed to receive more of the Holy Spirit, it was a tangible, definite, repeatable experience that immediately led to change in my life. And you know what? What happened more than anything is that I got hungry for God. Um, I remember when uh, Izzy was growing up, I've asked her permission to share this story, but when Izzy was growing up, me and Pip, first child, high ideals of how we were going to bring our daughter. It obviously goes wrong after two and three, but high ideals. And up to the age of one, we had avoided her eating any chocolate at this point. Okay, and and sadly, she was invited to a friend's birthday party. And obviously, they had a big cake, and it was a chocolate cake. And by the time we got to the party and had discovered that she'd obviously eaten some chocolate cake, she had literally tried to put that cake in every potential hole in her face. <laughs> Ears, eyes, mouth, you know, it would face covered in chocolate. And that look of, why have I not been allowed to have this for 12 <laughs> months, you know? And I just love that that is a great picture of the Christian life and the Holy Spirit. A hunger, a desperation, a yearning. Like this sense of how dare I do life at all without knowing the Holy Spirit in me, working in me. And I wonder this morning, like how hungry are you for more? You know, I feel we must be so careful not to fall into the trap of believing in the Holy Spirit, but actually having a functional absence in our lives. Like we know what to say and what to believe, but the reality is different. Perhaps for some of us, we've been put off by extremes of the charismatic movement. Perhaps some of us have had weird experiences or have met weird people. Uh, I know that I've received and given a fair amount of prophecies that just were me and not God. And I've been in situations where it's felt like it's just a person who, you know, is just a little bit weird rather than God speaking through them. And, and perhaps many of you have experienced like the, perhaps the end of the charismatic church that can tar all of Churches that really wanting to see the Holy Spirit at work. And we must be so careful, however painful and hurtful some of those experiences can be, don't stop us from living in the good of what God actually promises us. And we must be careful to um, weigh things very, um, very appropriately and biblically. We must sometimes just be prepared to eat the meat and spit out the bones. But let's not be those that swing to out of a position of hurt or perhaps some bad experiences and ignore the work of the Spirit in our lives. I fear that if we do that, we miss out on the very thing God has called us to be. You know, a church that radically pursues him, encounters him for the sake of Leeds and for the nations of the world. You know, the dream we have here, the sort of church we want to be, is so big, it's so beyond you and I's ability to pull that off. We must be a people of the Spirit, must be people that hunger for more, much more than we have right now. Now, I don't know what your background is. If some of you have been a Christian a while, I know a very common argument against this sort of preaching and expectation is that for some people, they believe when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit at that moment, which I actually thoroughly believe in, that it's only the Holy Spirit that can open our blind eyes to the gospel. But you get it all in one hit. You get everything at conversion. 
And then there's no subsequent fillings of the Spirit. It's just all at the start. Now, there's lots of things I could say at this point, but uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is sort of seen, I guess, especially in the 50s and 60s, I think we've got a nice next, yeah, very stern-looking guy, very strong preacher, really knows his Bible. He says this, and it's pretty harsh words. He says, got it all. I simply ask in the name of God, why then are you as you are? If you got it all, why are you so unlike New Testament Christians? Got it all? Got it all at conversion? Well, where is it? I ask. And I would say that to you very gently. Again, if you're someone that just thinks that it's all about at conversion and nothing else, we would say, well, where's the life that's lived in the power of the Spirit? Where, where, like, what does your life look like? And we would say, out of our weakness, we need more and more of God. We didn't get it all at the start. So my experience is this. My experience is this. We could have the next slide, please. That none of us signed up for dull, dry, superficial Christianity. None of us want to be in the shallows when the deep end is so much more fulfilling. None of us want faith devoid of encounter, intimacy, and assurance. And none of us want to stop growing and maturing. Yes, there might be moments where we just have had enough. But over the course of our lives, that is our heart, isn't it? That's what we want. And we want to live in the good of what God has for us. I'm getting like a couple of people nodding. I'm hoping that's what we want, isn't it? And I know that we don't live in the good of that, but that is the hope that the, the Holy Spirit has placed in us. And so listen, this series is, is not about making us all feel really bad or rebuked or ashamed because we're not living the sort of, the life that I'm talking about or have made the grade or anything like that. Nor is it about trying to sort of whip us up at the end of every meeting so we're in sort of some emotional frenzy where we'll sort of come to God and everything will be all right and then we'll sort of go home and realize our life hasn't changed at all. That's not what we're about at all. Far from that. So what are we doing? Well, this series is an sort of, unashamed call for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, for more. Whatever that looks like for you and I, more. To believe that God speaks through his Holy Spirit and empowers us to obey him. I'm tired of disobedience in my life. It's a declaration that repeatable, um, definite, tangible experiences of the Holy Spirit are not just real, but actually promised in the Bible. And Really importantly, they are for us. They're not just for the early church. They're not just for certain types of churches, but they are for us here and now. And it's to help you believe that God takes all our apathy, all our lack of hunger, and transforms it into passionate devotion, thirst, hunger for him. And I hope that the hardest things that we are asked to do as Christians, you know, the stuff that we all struggle, sharing our faith, living for Jesus, pursuing holiness, knowing joy and peace in suffering, having a lifestyle of worship, mission to the world, all of that stuff will happen as an overflow of receiving more. All that stuff happens as the fruit of receiving more of the Spirit. You know, I had a, just in the last two weeks, I've had a wonderful story of um, someone who comes to our High Park Heather, 
High Park Headingley Gathering, it's got a mouthful, uh, who for the last year or so has been really trying to live in the good of, I think, what I'm talking about today. And for her, uh, the way she's tried to express that dependency on God is by praying for as many people as possible that are sick. And um, she has been visiting a lady now, I think for the last year, every two weeks and praying for her. This lady, two years ago, I think had a very simple thing happen to her in the home, very small accident that has had huge consequences for her. She's been in a lot, a lot of back pain. So it's meant that if you've ever had back pain, you know you just cannot move. And when she moves, very, very tiring and painful, and she can only sit you know, with a hot water bottle on her back and lacks really any movement. And this lady's been praying for her just every couple of weeks. Well, she prayed for her two weeks ago. And they were suddenly aware that God's sort of presence was very much with them. And they both looked at each other and said, God's doing something here. And the lady who was in pain went home and started to stretch and move in a way that she'd not been able to do pain-free. In the morning, she was still pain-free, but her body was a little bit stiff because she had actually spent half the night dancing around in worship, celebrating the fact that God had healed her. In the morning, she could touch her toes and all the pain had gone. So this is two weeks ago today, still absolutely pain-free. God has done a wonderful work in her life. And I think, I mean, I'm telling you the story because one is encouraging. You can look encouraged. That's great in our church family. God's doing that sort of thing. But secondly, it comes out of this hunger for more, hunger in this lady who just said, I, you know, it, I, I'm perhaps going to look foolish for a while. It's, I'm going to have to like, t- take some steps of faith. I'm going to have to change things a bit to align myself to receive more from God. And that's the hope for all of us. It might not be you pray for the sick all the time. There's countless ways we can express this. But that's the journey I would like us to go on. So we're going to be looking at the person of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, how to walk in step with the Spirit, pursuing the Holy Spirit's gifts and enjoying the fruit. So with the remainder of my time, uh, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to do this. We're going to take a really, really brief journey through the story of Scripture. And where I'm going to land is that God wants to fill you with his Spirit. He doesn't just come in as he does in Old Testament times, just to certain places for specific purposes and certain activity, but rather the the, the flow of Scripture is that the Holy Spirit, God's presence, is going to come to us, his people. And so my hope is as we land at that point of really realizing biblically God wants to be with us, we take a bit of time to receive. And so we're going to finish today just by giving the time that you need to respond to God. So yes, so let's start here. We first read about God's Spirit being in space. So I don't know if it's helpful to imagine space. Simply hovering over the unformed waters of the earth. Genesis 1 verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Two chapters later, creation is complete. And God was suddenly present in an immediate way in a garden. In the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day. The next occasion in scripture where God's presence is manifest with this kind of immediacy is from a bush, a burning bush, a bush that's on fire that doesn't uh, properly burn. Moses takes his shoes off, recognizing the holiness of the moment. 
So from space to garden to bush, the pace quickens in Scripture, and we find God's presence on a mountain. And it's on the mountain after the Israelites have escaped at Pharaoh's clutches and are now journeying um, out of Egypt towards the promised land. Uh, God wants to meet with them on a mountain. He sends his presence. There's smoke, there's fire, and only Moses can approach this mountain. It's only Moses that can go up and commune with God. But it was here that God instructs Moses to build a tent. And a tent was the place God wanted to send his tangible presence. Exodus 25, God says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishing exactly like the pattern I will show you. So if we've gone from space to gardens to bushes to mountains to tents, what next? Well, what's next is a box. God rests his presence strongly in the Ark of the Covenant. And it was there on the mercy seat, God would come powerfully. And that Ark spent most of its time in the tabernacle. Can you see the the theme is place. It's place. It's geographical place. God coming to a certain place. And all of that theme culminates in the building of the temple. The temple is the next place of God's presence. King David, King Solomon, they build a temple for God's presence to dwell. 1 Kings 8, and the priests could not perform the service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled his temple. So now, even though this was the pinnacle of Israel's history, everything was leading up to this point, God's presence in the temple, You might remember that the whole thing was happening because God had pledged himself to the people and the people had pledged themselves back. There was a covenant, there was a promise. But the people of God could never keep their side of the promise. And so even though God's presence was in Jerusalem in the temple, the people were still disobedient. And so the prophets began to speak of a new day, a new day that would come uh, it was a sort of a, a radical moment where God would take his presence, not just from a place, but to a people. And the people themselves would have God living in them so that they could keep their side of the covenant. It was Ezekiel who said in Ezekiel 36, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow me. I don't know, it's hard for us to understand how radical those words would have been for a people used to God being in a certain place. And suddenly, no, my spirit is going to be in you. So this major shift, God would place his spirit in people as opposed to specific geographical locations. So the question is, how on earth will that relocation happen? How will God do it? Well, it's his son, Jesus, that says what's going to happen, um, described by John in John 7. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, As the scriptures said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. So that would happen when Jesus ascends into heaven. So you've got the disciples, the apostles in Acts 1, waiting for this radical moment for God to bring his presence to a people. 
Acts 1, Jesus appears to them and says, wait, wait here, but you will be clothed with the power from on high and you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Then Acts 2, you've got Pentecost. Acts 2, you've got cloud, you've got fire, you've got wind, you've got the presence of God coming as promised. You've got people speaking in different languages, declaring the praises of God. And the apostle Peter stands up and addresses the the crowd in Jerusalem and says, this is what's going on. Acts 2, these men are not drunk as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. People. And that is God's plan for his spirit, from place to people, from place to us, from place to you. New birth, adoption. He's the advocate. He's the truth teller. He is at work changing our lives, empowering us, gifting us, strengthening us. So how do we receive the Spirit? Let's close with this. I've got two words for you that make up sort of the most glorious invitation that God gives us. The first word is the word come. How are we to respond today? How are we to ask for more? Well, we come. Where else do you find an offer like this? Isaiah 55, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. You know what? God doesn't just use a spokesman to give that invite, but he sends his son, Jesus, who announces wonderfully in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary, and burdened, and I will give you a rest. John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me to drink. He says, John 6, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. So who's invited? The weary. Who's invited? The thirsty. Who's invited? The hungry, the lonely, the bright, and the broken. They're all invited to come and to keep on coming. The second glorious invitation is the word ask. Ask. We come and we ask while talking about receiving the Holy Spirit in Luke uh, chapter 11. Uh, this is the message version because I think it helps us understand just the, the flavor of what Jesus, he says this. Here's what I'm saying. Ask and you'll get. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will open. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your little boy asks for a serving of fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? If your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a spider? It's tempting. As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. And don't you think the father who conceived you in love, just it's beautiful, will give you the Holy Spirit when you ask him. You know what? My dog knows how to ask. You know, just that puppy eyes. Do you know that, you know, if a dog's, you're eating and the dog's just looking at you with those eyes. My dog knows how to ask. My kids know how to ask. On and on, relentless. Oh, there they are. Um, on and on. My kids know how to ask. My wife knows how to ask. You promised. You said. My whole family, they know how to ask. Do you know how to ask your heavenly father for more of the Holy Spirit? 
Do you know how to ask him? When was the last time you asked for more of the Spirit? When was the last time you asked for more of the Spirit? Do you believe the promise that is given here by Jesus? That if you ask, that he will answer straight away. You know, if you're not a Christian here today, do you believe that God actually wants to meet with you? Like for the Apostle Paul, he met with God in a very striking way before he became a Christian. And many people, that's how they make that step of faith, is that they have an experience of God. He doesn't always do it like that. But perhaps today you'll let someone pray with you to experience more of God. For those of you who think it might be scary, the promise in the Bible is that God's a father who knows exactly what you need. So there's nothing to fear. And so I want to ask you to start this series as we mean to go on. This is not a time to put the handbrake on. This is a time to come and to ask. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd just like to give us some time. And um, sometimes it's helpful in these moments to actually like, make a response to God. And you don't have to do this at all. But what I'm going to do is in a moment I'm going to pray for us. It'd be great, Al, if you could just sort of play in the background. And I'm going to ask you all to wait. And I'll pray for the Holy Spirit to come. And if you're like someone who just knows, actually today I need to receive more from God. While everyone else's eyes are closed, it might be worth you standing. And physically you're sort of saying to God, I'm here for you. And there's nothing special in the standing apart from it's just sort of showing your openness to God. And we're just going to take our time. And in a bit we'll worship and we'll enjoy God's presence amongst us. So is that okay if we have a moment to ask, to come to him and ask him for more? So do you want to just close your eyes perhaps? That's great. Why don't we all just do that? Just close our eyes and... Perhaps for some of you young people, you know, this is not something you've done much. You've perhaps not asked God to come close to you like this. You need to know that he loves you, treasures you. He wants to come close to you now. For those of you that are not Christians here today, you're so welcome here. Well, God's wanting to fill you with his Holy Spirit as well and open your eyes to him. And for the rest of us, however, however well or badly we're doing, whatever our past experiences are, the invitation is to come and ask. So we come, Lord. We come. 